and hope that you are as well. We're going to begin this summer uh, bodybuilder series. What we do every summer is we take time to just combine everything and in terms of adults, and then um, we'll do that throughout this summer. And we did this a couple of years ago, something similar to this, where we just took time to uh, look at some biographies. I, I don't know if you are like me, but if I'm going to read something, the chances are that what I'm reading will be a biography, something historical, because I just enjoy so much uh, learning about what, you know, conditions and situations and life experiences from people in the past. And uh, this year, this summer, what I'd like us to do is to consider some faithful men and women from church history, uh, from the scriptures, and look at their lives. But I want to particularly pay attention to things that we would maybe identify as, as failures or certainly weaknesses in, in the lives of these people. And notice how we see faithfulness even in the midst of failure. That's what I, if, if I could give this, uh, this class a title, it would be that, Faithfulness in the Midst of Failure, Life Lessons from Church and Biblical History. And so over the, this coming summer, we'll be taking some lives of, of men and women from church history, from, from the Bible, and just trying to glean what we can from them in terms of getting some understanding of not just of their life, but of lessons that we might be able to learn uh, from these people. I think what often happens is, typically when we get to these biographies, we're going to read a biography because we want to read about heroes, right? We want to read about heroes. We want to hear about people who are who've done you know, the right thing and have done it the best way and all those kind of things. But what we're really going to get in these next couple of weeks and in these next couple of months is not so much about the heroes, but we're going to get uh, information uh, about some of those men and uh, how they struggled and their weaknesses and what we can learn from them. And of course, we have uh, perhaps the greatest biography, uh, however brief, assembled it is in Hebrews chapter 11 and then the writer to Hebrews kind of summarizes it by saying since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also let us also in the in the same way let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking on to Jesus the the founder of and perfecter of our faith. Hopefully what this will cause us to do in the coming weeks is to look to Jesus, to put our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what I've appreciated so much about this study and preparing for that. Now, incidentally, today we were supposed to begin the day with a video lecture from John Piper that he did on Hudson Taylor. I think maybe his best. He's done over the last 20 years or more done just a, a masterful job of presenting uh, lessons, life lessons from some of these biographies. And I wanted today to be able to um, show this video uh, from on the life of Hudson Taylor. However, we've had some technical issues that prevented that. And so I'm going to go to one of the other sections that I was going to do later this year on something that I did uh, a few years ago 
and that is on the life of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson. Uh, probably, probably no one has affected my life as much uh, as this man named Adoniram Judson. If you know anything about Adoniram Judson, you may recall that he was the very first American missionary to go to a foreign field, at least throughout recorded history. Adoniram Judson was born in Malden, Massachusetts, August 9th, 1788. His dad's name was Adoniram. His Mom's name was Abigail. They were married in 1786. Now, Adoniram was a really an impressive boy, even at a young age. He began to read, it says his mother began, taught him to read at age three. He, he, she basically taught him to read in one week. And he read, at age three, he read an entire chapter of the Bible. This morning as I was doing some last minute preparation, we had Harvey with us last night and he was up in my study and he wanted to sit on my lap as I was preparing and as I was studying the Bible and he could he would like to print, to point out the chapter divisions. You know, there's one, pap, there's two, pap, there's three. Well, almost the same age as Adoniram Judson, here's Adoniram reading an entire chapter in the Bible. At age 4, he began to imitate his father's preaching to his friends. He, he grew up in a home where the Bible was centered. His, his father was actually a pastor. He was a pastor of the first congregational church of Malden. And he so, like, like many of us, right, we so desire great things for our children. We, we desire for our kids to be used for great purposes. But it's interestingly interesting that his father never had the idea that his son would actually become a missionary. In fact, it was probably one of the furthest things from his, from his mind. Adoniram was the oldest of three Judson children. He had a sister named Abigail and a brother named El Nathan. They came in 1791 and 1794. Adoniram distinguished himself academically above his peers. His family moved to Plymouth, Massachusetts when he was 14. And at that point, he suffered a near fatal illness. It took him almost an entire year to recover during that time. He thought much of his future life. He thought much of how he would be used and what his legacy would be and what his life would be about. He actually dreamed of becoming famous. But not for fame itself. Adoniram dreamed of becoming a famous preacher. He didn't want to be like his father to pastor a small church, but he wanted to to be the minister of a large and influential church. He longed for attention. He longed for fame in the ministry because people would gather to hear him speak. But as he laid there in his sickbed, almost to the point of death, his ambition for fame um, made him realize that it didn't necessarily translate. Fame in this world didn't necessarily translate to fame in the next world. Here's what we read about him. He said, Suddenly through his mind, words rang out so powerfully that he all but heard them spoken. Not unto us, not unto us, but to thy name be the glory. And those words, with those words, such a dreadful shock of realization struck him that he almost sat upright in his bed. 
when he was sick, Adoniram realized that he could not pursue religion, could not pursue Christ, and his own selfish ambition at the same time. And you know what happened? At that point, Adoniram realized something. He realized that he didn't really want to be a Christian. He did not want to be a Christian because being a Christian, he recognized being a Christian meant not pursuing his own selfish ambitions, his own dream. And Christianity would actually become an obstacle to his greatness, his thoughts of greatness. So his thoughts were necessarily put off as he recovered and found that he lost an entire year of schooling. Because of that, he set himself to his books uh, and not only made up for the year that he lost, but he managed to complete two school years in one. Because of his academic ability, he was ready to enter college just a few days shy of his 16th birthday. Rhode Island University would later become Brown University was selected as the proper school for him. When he enrolled, it was discovered that he was much too advanced to enroll as a freshman, so he enrolled as a sophomore. He instantly set himself apart from others in his class. He won the respect of faculty. It must have brought joy to his father when he read the compliments of the president of the school. Here's what the the president said. A uniform propriety of conduct as well as an intense application to study distinguishes his character. Your expectations of him, however sanguine, must certainly be gratified. I most heartily congratulate you, dear sir, on that charming prospect which you have exhibited in this very amiable and promising son. My dad got a same letter, similar letter about me. I just have to tell you. During this time, Adoniram seems to have been well-liked by his fellow students. It appears that he had quite uh, the social life as well. He made friendships easily, especially with a man named Jacob. Jacob Ames of Belfast, Maine. Now, you need to know something about Jacob Ames. Ames was a confirmed deist. That is, he rejected revealed religion and anything that had to do with the existence of a personal God. Deists are committed to reason as the greatest good. They do not believe in the supernatural, per se. It was not long until Adoniram began to espouse similar views as Jacob. He became, quote, as great an unbeliever as his new friend, unquote. Of course, he would never tell this to his father. But he was happy to reveal to his father that he had achieved some of his goals. He placed first in his class. It was with great joy that he wrote to his father that he had become the class valedictorian. And at age 19, Adoniram Judson, within two weeks of his graduation, he, he started the Plymouth Independent Academy. He began writing textbooks. At age 20, he was already an author and a founder of a school. But he was not yet satisfied. Above all, he felt like he was living a lie as he dutifully attended family worship and went to church on Sundays. Ultimately, he decided that what he wanted to do was to go to New York. He would visit his uncle. Maybe he would spend some time in Albany. To this, his father was suspicious and wondered why he would want to do such a thing. Finally, he couldn't take it any longer and explained to his father that he no longer believed in the Bible. 
He no longer believed in the God of his family. And he absolutely could not be persuaded differently. Predictably, his father responded in anger and his mother and sister were in tears. Combined with fervent prayer. Adoniram would go to New York. His experience in New York was less than satisfying, though, to a young man who was seeking adventure in the world. He returned to his uncle's house only to find his uncle away on a trip. In his place was a young minister who was staying in his uncle's house. The two enjoyed discussion together, and this really impressed Adoniram, especially as he considered the young minister's conviction and peace. He seemed to have something that Adoniram just didn't have peace. All this was fresh on his mind in spite of his intellect, in spite of his, his great thoughts, and his, in spite of his logic, he simply could not be at peace. And all of this was on his mind as he left his uncle's home that day. Upon evening, still not wanting to go back to his father's house, he came to a small village. At the local inn, he inquired as to whether or not there was a spare room. The innkeeper apologetically offered him the only room left. And this room happened to be next to a young man who had been critically ill himself, perhaps near death. Didn't matter to Adoniram. He only wanted something to eat. He only needed a warm bed for the evening just to keep him away from his father's house. And he was sure that the few noises next door wouldn't disturb him at all. He went to his room that night, still thinking about the conversation that he had had with the young preacher at his uncle's house. And as he thought about that, he also considered the eternal state of the person in the room next to him, who was apparently dying. He thought of himself. He thought of his own eternal state. The terror of these thoughts were almost too much for him. He began to reason within himself that someone of his intellect didn't need to worry about such fantasies. After all, what, was his, what would his classmates think, right? And just then, he, he imagined the, the, the critical laughter of his friend Jacob Ames as he felt shame for giving in to such weak-minded thinking. The next morning came quickly, and he dressed and prepared to leave. Upon seeing the innkeeper in the morning, he ate breakfast, and then he asked for the bill. But the innkeeper seemed fairly solemn that morning, and he asked uh, the innkeeper about the young man in the room next to him. He's dead, came the reply. It shocked Adoniram, but not as as much as his answer to the next question. "Do Do you know who he was? Yes, the innkeeper said, a young man from the College of Providence named Ames, Jacob Ames. The words rang in his ears and his mind, dead, dead. Thoughts of hell's flames filled his mind. He knew God. He he knew God was sovereign. He understood that all that had happened to him was no coincidence at all. And as he rode along, he thought of this incident as an ample warning from Almighty God. He spent that particular night in that particular inn, in that particular room, while he had been thinking those very particular thoughts. And at that moment, 
he realized that God was the one true God and that God was the God of the Bible. And he was real. His logic and thoughts to that point had said the exact opposite. But his logic and his thoughts only led him to despair, only led him to dread. So he decided to head back home to Plymouth, which he did rather quickly, shared his experience with his family. wonder what that must have been like to be that father and that mother and siblings, to hear their brother, their son, for whom they had prayed, say those words. Now, I can't say that Adoniram was fully convinced of the, the faith. It was decided that he would enter a newly formed seminary at Andover as a special student. He was not going to enter ministry. He just wanted to, to learn about the Christian faith. And he began to study languages like Greek and Hebrew and to hammer out his theological doubts with his professors. The more he read, the more he understood, the more his faith seemed to grow. At one point, he even noted that, quote, he began to entertain a hope of having received the regenerating influences of the Holy Spirit. And on December 2nd, 1808, he made what he called a solemn dedication of himself to God. He became a new man. And that was evidenced by, quote, his banishing forever those dreams of literary and political ambition in which he had formerly indulged and simply asked himself, how shall I order my future being as best to please God? How shall I so order my future being as best to please God? Almost a year later in September 1809, while still wondering how he could best serve God, he came across a copy of a, of a printed sermon. A sermon was preached by a man named Claudius Buchanan. Buchanan had served as a chaplain for the East India Company, and in the sermon he told of the advancement of the gospel to the lands of the East. He exhorted that now was the time for the spread of Christianity, and that great effort was required even at that moment. Adoniram was already... Uh, he had already heard of men like William Carey, the English cobbler who had gone to India and established a mission there. He knew of Robert Morrison who had gone to Boston in order to arrange for passage to China to begin to, the, to translate the Bible there. Adonair must have heard of Morrison's settled conviction when the owner of the ship on which he sailed asked Morrison, you really expect to make an impression on the idolatry of the great Chinese empire, which was the overwhelming thought of the day, to which Morrison replied, no, sir. I expect God will. But all these missionaries had one thing in common. None of them were Americans. Adoniram began to think that he might be the first American missionary to the foreign field. He, he, this, this thought occupied his mind for the next days to such a degree that he could not attend his classes. It was then that he came across Michael Sims, an account of an embassy to the kingdom of Ava. This was the story of Sim's experience in the empire of a country called Burma. From that time on, Burma was much in his thoughts. It was in the dead of winter, 1810, sometime in February, that Adoniram was walking in the grove that he experienced what he would call his missionary call. Here's what he wrote. 
It was during a solitary walk in the woods behind the college while meditating and praying on the subject and feeling half inclined to give it up that the command of Christ, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was presented to my mind with such clearness and power that I came to a full decision and though great difficulties appeared in my way, resolved to obey the command at all events. From that point on, he set himself to pursue missionary venture to some far place in the world. Though he didn't know it, four other students in the seminary were set to make the same kind of missionary inquiries. Having met together with, these, with, with Adoniram, they began preaching every opportunity they could get. It was then that they had written an article for religious magazine. The article's title was Concern for the Salvation of the Heathen. (laughs) In this article, he asked, how do Christians discharge the trust committed to them? They let three-fourths of the world sleep the sleep of death, ignorant of the simple truth that a Savior had died for them, content if they can be useful in a little circle of their acquaintances, acquaintances. They quietly sit and see whole nations perish for lack of knowledge. The friends decided to, put, to find out if an American mission board could be established for the purpose of sending out American missionaries. You see, the, the London Missionary Society had already been doing this, and now they wanted to start an American board. In order to preserve some of our time, I'll just skip to the good part, and I'm probably going to have to do that throughout. Um, but it was decided that Adoniram would have to set sail for London to find out if they could do anything to help get these willing servants to the mission field. Before, however, he set sail, he met uh, a young lady named Anne, nicknamed Nancy, Hasseltine, who absolutely stole his heart. He constantly wooed her love. And no more than a month or so after meeting her, he wrote to her father, John Hasseltine, proposing marriage to his daughter. Here's the proposal. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved? through her means, from eternal woe and despair. His trip to England was interrupted by a time in a French prison. It would seem that he would be spending lots of time in prisons, so why not start now? His British ship had been overtaken by the French, and he was ushered into a French prison from which he was ultimately and quite eventfully rescued. From there, he was taken to London four months after he set sail from Boston. But his French imprisonment was regarded 
as a, quote, very important and indeed necessary part of his preparation for the duties which afterwards devolved upon him. The London Missionary Society never did take Adoniram as a missionary, and a good thing, since it wouldn't be long until America and England were embroiled in the War of 1812. But on September 19, 1811, he and others were officially recognized as the first American missionaries to be sent to foreign lands. February 5, 1812, he and Nancy were married. February 6th, he was ordained. <laughs> what, a way, what a great honeymoon, huh? And on February 19th, they departed for India together with Samuel and Harriet Newell. The next landfall they would make would be in India. Now, it was during that time, that trip to India, that Adoniram began to reconsider his views on baptism. He had been baptized as a baby, but having set himself to study uh, the meaning of baptism in the New Testament was causing him to have second thoughts. In time, he would completely rethink his view, and ultimately he and Nancy were actually baptized by William Carey in India. Their rejection of congregationalism led to a separation of friends only in terms of the focus of their work. Later, uh, one man named Luther Rice, you may have heard of him, would also reconsider his stance and follow the Judsons in believers' baptism. When he arrived in India... The group began to look for places from which to launch their missionary ministry. Long ago, Burma had been set on Adoniram's mind, but that quickly was forgotten when he heard of the cruel treatment the visitors were receiving there. They heard the laws of Burma as being they heard of the laws of Burma as being some of the cruelest in the world. Listen, the commonest punishments there were beheading, crucifixion, and quote pouring melted lead in small quantities down the throat. Somewhat discouraging. But they could not stay in India. as They were targeted there by the local government, largely influenced by the East India Company, for deportation. After several attempts to make it to other places, it was determined that they would set sail for Rangoon, Burma. During this trip, their first child was stillborn. On July 13, 1813, their boat struck anchor at the, river, at the entrance to the Rangoon River. It wasn't long before they met a man named Felix, Felix Carey, the son of the famed William Carey at the mission house that he, that he established there in Rangoon. Burma was a country, is a country, steeped in Buddhism and was closed to most outside contexts, not to mention any missionary endeavors. It was okay for white men to come to Burma to trade, but valuables would not be permitted to leave the country, and neither could the foreigners have any freedom to preach to the Burmese. However, the people were quite curious at the new faces, especially with Nancy. The white woman was quite a spectacle to them. She enjoyed great favor with most of the people. Even the local leader known as the Viceroy, received the Judsons favorably, and Nancy enjoyed a good relationship with the leader's wife. Adoniram set his face to learning the language, which was a difficult task to say the least. And during that time, he also heard from Luther Rice, who had since departed for America due to health reasons. While in America, Rice took word to the American Baptists regarding Judson's baptism and acceptance of the Baptist faith. 
They were elated, and they gladly organized an association of American Baptists for missionary endeavors. They would gladly support not only the Judsons, but many more missionaries as well. This good news was only heightened when in less than a week, Nancy yet again went into labor and gave birth to their little boy, Roy, oh, I'm sorry, Roger Williams Judson, September 11th, 1815. The boy brought great joy to the Judsons. He always seemed most contented when he was with his father and mother even if they were not if 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 he were not their sole focus but in march of the following year their son roger took sick and the sickness would prove to be fatal you can't imagine the grief the judsons faced after that period of grief the judsons once again set themselves to the work amongst the burmese the addition of a printing press made the work move ahead. Adoniram had learned the language enough to start producing tracts that told the story of Christianity. And by early 1817, the first 1,000 tracts were typeset and printed. Adoniram had also begun work on a translation of the Gospel of Matthew, and Nancy wrote a catechism. There were no converts and very little development at all in the first months and years. But in May 1817, the translation of the Gospel of Matthew was complete. This, coupled with other events, encouraged Adoniram to go to Chittagong, where there were Burmese-speaking Christian converts. The trip would only take a matter of weeks. However, storms set in, and that combined with uncooperative currents and a very Incompetent captain brought the ship further from their target. The boat was completely out of supplies, including food and water, and on top of that, Judson had come down with a severe fever. It seemed that his death would be imminent. But by the grace of God, Adoniram survived. And when he finally made it back to the mission house at Rangoon, he found that it was closed. It had been seven months since he had left, and by the time he returned, everything was turned upside down. Cholera struck Rangoon with a vengeance. There was the increasing possibility of war between the English and the Burmese. And all of this brought great trial to the fledgling mission house. And without a competent leader, it was doomed to close. But when Adoniram did return, things seemed to get straightened out. So much so that two other missionary couples actually joined them there. The tropical climate of Burma produced great amounts of sickness suffering, a lot of disease, and, and, and its share of death. It wasn't long until the missionaries who had arrived were suffering with sickness and, de- and death was knocking at their door. The time that it took to care for the ailing caused things to go slower than Judson would have liked, and with health looked like it would be restored, Adoniram had a great idea. Years before, he thought of building something called a Zayat. A Zayat, Z-A-Y-A-T, would have been like a small schoolhouse, a center from which a teacher would teach. And he decided that now was the time to build one in order to increase the opportunities to meet and talk with the Burmese about Christianity. He'd sit on the front porch of the Zayat and he'd speak to passers-by. And on Sunday, April 4th, 1819, Adoniram Judson held his first service in the Zayat. Soon, a young man of about 35 years old named Mao Nao, Mang Nao came by, and it was late 
May that Judson recorded the following. Here's what he said. I begin to think that the grace of God has reached his heart. He expressed sentiments of repentance for his sins, of faith in the Savior. The substance of his profession is that from the darknesses and the uncleannesses, uncleannesses and the sins of his whole life, he has found no other Savior but Jesus Christ. Nowhere else can he look for salvation, and therefore he proposes to adhere to Christ and worship him all his life long. It seems almost too much to believe that God has begun to manifest his grace to the Burmans, but this day I could not resist the, the, the delightful conviction that this is really the case. Praise and glory be to his name forever. Amen. And so after six years of travel and sickness and trial and suffering and death, and labor, they had seen their first convert. June 6, 1819, he requested to be baptized uh, with as beautiful and as moving and as sincere a testimony of faith as you've ever heard. Now, there was a great crisis in the government that delayed his baptism. Persecution was already beginning to rise against the missionaries, but beginning June 27th, 1819, in a large pond right under the shadow of a huge statue of Buddha, Mang now was immersed in believer's baptism. There were others who were being impacted through the ministry now, but government restraints were being felt more than ever. It was okay in the minds of the Burmese king and of government for white men to serve their own kind, but to preach, but to preach to, 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 to try to convince the Burmese was another matter altogether. One that had been taken to the very king himself, the tyrant of Burma. It was decided that Judson and a group of others would go to the king's palace in Ava to request permission, not only to preach to the Burmese, but for protection for those who would become disciples of Christ. He requested that before the king, and it was rejected. Adoniram returned in failure. He'd been working on more translation work. In particular, he was working on the book of Ephesians, and those who were followers of Christ were excited about it. It was much easier for them to read and understand. But in the midst of all of this, Nancy was very ill, and it was determined that if she was to survive, she would have to get away from the climate. So Adoniram booked Nancy passage to go away for a while, and this set in motion several requests for baptism, and yet another baptismal service took place, this time with two others openly confessing their faith in Christ. After spending three months in Calcutta, the Judsons prepared to return to Burma. But it wasn't long until Nancy's liver trouble returned, and this time Adoniram also came down with cholera. He decided then and there that she must go back to Calcutta, and then from there on to America. And on August 21st, 1822, Nancy departed. Fast forward a year, July 1823. Judson uh, completed his translation to the entire New Testament into Burmese. He had a written summary of the Old Testament in 12 sections. Not until December 5th, 1823, nearly two years since they had last seen each other, Nancy finally returned to Rangoon. Adoniram had been waiting for her arrival so that they could immediately go to the capital of Ava because there will be greater opportunities for religious freedom and perhaps for influence on high-ranking government officials. But only a few months later, a war began. And one of the things I want you to think about as, I, as we go through this and just think about, yeah, all the visible things that we see, things that are taking place, but realize 
that these are not just visible things. There are invisible things taking place behind the scenes you don't see and you don't think about. You mean a war just happened to break out when this effort was, was, was being launched? The British invaded Rangoon and took it over. It was the common practice of the Burmese to enslave to kill prisoners of war. They looked at Judson and others who were with them as British spies. What's going on here? Who do you think would want to have this missionary endeavor stopped? Despite their pleas and opposition, Judson was jailed along with several other white men in or around Ava. He was arrested June 8, 1824. The imprisonment was predictably cruel and torturous. He was deprived of the basic necessities of life and was shackled with as many as three up to five iron shackles. At night, prisoners were hoisted up by their ankles so that only their shoulders and heads touched the floor. They'd spend the day in darkness and isolation, commonly beaten, and many were killed by their prison masters. This lasted for a year and a half, not until December 31st, 1825, would Judson actually return to his home. And during that time, his wife, Nancy, had worked tirelessly tirelessly for his freedom. And in addition, she gave birth to their third child, a little girl, Maria, January 26, 1825. She worked herself so hard that by the time Adoniram returned home, she was no longer able to care for their child. But miraculously, she survived. The war had been won by the British and their The treaties that they made with the Burmese gave them control over part of Burmese-controlled land. The British embassy needed help with translation, and they promised Adoniram that if he helped them, that they would attempt to press for religious freedom among the Burmese. Judson went to assist the founding of the British embassy in Ava after he had settled Nancy with little Maria in their new home. He had been away for quite some time when he received the letter explaining that Nancy took ill again. But this time, October 2nd, 1826, she died. The depression that set in uh, for Adoniram was remarkable. He began to question everything about himself, especially his purpose for ministry and the pride of his own ambition. It was not unlike the depression that would strike one named Charles Spurgeon, who, when thousands thronged to hear him preach, brought the message of the gospel. He was known as the Prince of Preachers, but, but someone in the crowd, thousands had gathered, and someone in the crowd thought that they would play a joke, and they shouted out that there was a fire, and, and it, it, it made everybody uh, stampede, and in that stampede, several people were killed, and that launched Spurgeon into a, a similar time of depression and, and, and discouragement as he questioned himself, everything about his ministry, his own pride, his own ambition. Judson felt himself to be very selfish. He felt himself to be very proud, and he was overwhelmed in his own desolation. Not long after that, his young Maria, who barely recognized him as her father, succumbed to sickness and she died. Adoniram had lost everything that he loved. Three children, one wife, all were gone. Sacrificed in this mission to reach an ungrateful people. 
Let me just skip ahead. There were dark times for Judson. He went into near isolation. He was trying to deal with his remaining sin. He was a broken man. As time went on, he began to work in the translation and found some success in using the tracts to evangelize the Burmese. Soon the people were begging for the tracts, yet even in the midst of this success, tragedy struck. One of the missionaries, George Broadman, died. He left his young son and wife, Sarah uh, Boardman, who was a, I said Broadman, Boardman, who was uh, a young woman of unusual strength. She decided to stay there in Burma, and on the 10th day of April, 1834, Adoniram and Sarah got married. There's lots happening here. I'm trying to pull everything together. You know, it's not just like one right after another, but the two enjoyed a wonderful relationship in all. Nine children would be fathered by Adoniram to Sarah. Six of them lived. One was stillborn. Two others lived only a short time. But their life together was rich and blessed. Rich and blessed. It was during this time that Adoniram had finished his Burmese translation of the Bible. He set his mind to his other goal, that of a finished Burmese English dictionary. The difficulties of childbearing, 11 children in all, combined with the harshness of the climate and trials of missionary life, took their soul on Sarah Boardman Judson. She could no longer fight off sickness, and it was determined that she would have to go on a voyage, probably to America, in order to get well. So Adoniram and some of the children accompanied her on the voyage. Nevertheless, on the trip home, Sarah was taking a turn for the worst. Of their last moments together, Adoniram wrote, her mind became liable to wonder, but a single word was sufficient to recall and steady her recollection. On the evening of the 31st of August, she appeared to be drawing near to the end of her pilgrimage. The children took leave of her and retired to rest. I sat alone by the side of her bed during the hours of the night, endeavoring to administer relief to the distressed body and consolation of the, to the departing soul. At two o'clock in the morning, wishing to obtain one more token of recognition, I roused her attention and said, Do you still love the Savior? Oh, yes, she replied. I ever love the Lord Jesus Christ. I said again, Do you still love me? She replied in the affirmative by a peculiar expression of her own, then gave me one more kiss, and we exchanged that token of love for the last time. Another hour passed. Life continued to recede, and she ceased to breathe. For a moment, I traced her upward flight and thought of the wonders which were opening to her view. I then closed her sightless eyes, dressed her for the last time in the drapery of death and being quite exhausted with many sleepless nights. I threw down myself and slept. He and the children continued on to America, a place that he had never planned to see again. And when he arrived, he arrived to a very changed America. He was now famous. People flocked to hear him speak of his missionary adventures. Articles, books had been written about him. He left as a young man and made the mistakes of the young and inexperienced, but he had persevered through the suffering. By now, the American Baptists were beginning to experience division over the subject of slavery. It was a division felt along geographic borders between the North and the South, and from this division they formed the Southern Baptist Convention. Without fail, wherever Adoniram would go to speak, crowds were gathered, but more often than not they left a bit disappointed. 
for Adoniram only wanted to speak of one message, and that was the gospel. The people had come to hear tales of adventure, courage, and bravery. Yet he didn't tell stories. He could only speak of one thing. This account was vividly told later by one Emily, Emily Chubbuck. Emily was a young writer with a paintbrush-like pen. She could write and had a command of the language unlike any other. Upon reading her work, Adoniram longed to meet her. Upon meeting, the two fell in love and were quickly married, June 2nd, 1846. The two enjoyed life together in an almost childlike way. Now, Adoniram was quite a bit older than Emily. They lived together in happiness and in great love. When they arrived in Burma together, Emily set to working uh, on a biography of Judson's second wife. Sarah and Adoniram worked to finish, uh, I'm sorry, Emily and Adoniram worked to finish the dictionary. On December 24th, 1847, she presented Adoniram with their daughter, Emily Francis. Two years later, in January 1849, Adoniram finished the Burmese English Dictionary. In that year as well, Emily noted that Adoniram began giving quite a bit more time to prayer as he was wanting to live all out for the Lord. He had been prone to sickness anyway, but his time in prayer seemed to lead him to peace and to trust in his Savior. He loved that Savior. He recognized that he was a sinner and that he had neither lived, loved, nor served perfectly. He knew he'd made many mistakes in his youthful inexperience, in his unbridled exuberance. But he did learn to love that Christ of his. He learned to love that gospel that he had preached so much and so often. And on April 12, 1850, he died. Emily recalled his preaching back in the States after he had returned, after they were married. And here's what she wrote about him. Although the day was rainy, the church had been crowded with people who would, had learned that he would have something to say. After the sermon, he had spoken for some 15 minutes with simplicity, she says, and touching pathos. As Emily thought of the love of the Savior, what he has done for us and what we owe to him. As he sat down, Emily recollected, it was evident even to the, un, to the most unobservant eye that most of the listeners were disappointed. After the exercises were over, several persons inquired of me, frankly, why Dr. Judson had not talked of something else? Why had he not told a story? On the way home, Emily said, I mentioned the subject to him. Why? What do they want? He inquired. I presented the most interesting subject in the world to the best of my ability. But she said they wanted something different. They, they want a story. Well, I am sure I gave them a story. The most thrilling one that can be conceived of. But they heard it before, she said. They wanted something new of a man who had just come from the 
furthest reaches of the world, then I am glad they have it to say that a man came, he says, from the furthest reaches of the world and had nothing better than to tell them the wondrous story of Jesus' dying love. That's what his mind was filled with. The dying love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of that, of, of, of his work, you think of his life, you think of all that had taken place throughout his life and all how, how God had sovereignly arranged from, from age three beginning to read a chapter in the Bible to a particular inn in a particular town uh, in a particular room next to a dying man to, to meeting uh, Anne Hasseltine, to proposing marriage, to, to the death of children, to the death of wives but to preaching the old, old story, the message of the gospel. What I, one of the things that I love about the life of Adoniram Judson, and, and there are so many things. You, you can read the book yourself, To Golden Shore. Uh, ah, man, just a, a fabulous, fabulous book. I, uh, I, I kept so many things out, but you can read it for yourself. But one of the things that I appreciate so much about this man is that he understood deeply understood his own faults and his own failures his own weakness and yet in spite of all of that in spite of his faults in spite of his failures in spite of his own weakness he remained faithful to that god of grace and that god of mercy who had not only called him to be a missionary but it called him to be his own child. And I don't know that Adoniram ever got over that fact. And I hope that maybe just the life of Adoniram Judson would encourage you to think about this great truth that uh, the, the, the most amazing thing about you as a child of God, the most amazing thing about you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is that God set His love on you and would not let you go. And may that push us to be faithful even in the midst of our own failures. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank You for the life of Adoniram Judson and for the multiplied millions of saints down through the ages who in the midst of their own weakness, in the midst of their own faults, in the midst of their own sin, in the midst of their own failures, looked to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, may you cause us to do that so that we would love nothing more than the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would preach nothing more than Christ crucified, dead, buried, rose again, just as the Scriptures say. And may you thrill our hearts. Can we say with the hymnist, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. May you push us to that. We pray this in Jesus' name, and together all God's people said, Amen. Well,